Then again, one night, I go to work, I come home, and again, she's not there. The kids are there. And, and I ask them, Where, where's mommy? They don't know. Went shopping or something. I said, Jesus Christ, not this shit again. But anyway, overnight, she don't come home again. In the morning, I go get Mopsy, my front man, my friend, my drinking companion. And I say, hey, Mops, you got to come over to my house with me. you got to babysit these kids. So like, said, yeah, what the fuck is going on here? So a few days goes by. She comes home again. I said, well, what, what, what is it with you? What the hell is your problem? Oh, she's just so discouraged and she, she don't know, she, she don't like her car, get an old car. So I go out, I buy Sharon a brand new car. Boy, it was a beauty. Sitting in the driveway there in our new house. Everything looked good to me. <laughs> By this time, my friend Tony the Pirate, he had opened, he had quit the Coca-Cola truck job that he had, and he had opened a new tattoo shop in a place called Union Beach, New Jersey. He used to come by and see my, see my house. He said, wow, got a good deal on the price on this house. And he went, he bought a house a few blocks away in the same Levittown development, same type house. Anyway, his wife tells me, she says that Sharon is seeing one of the local cops there in Levittown. And that's probably why she's disappearing and not coming home for days. One day in a drag-out argument me and Sharon are having, he calls the police on me. He's going to have me put out of the house. She's going to do this, that, and the other thing. I said, fine. Here comes a police car to the house, a young big cop coming in. He comes to the door and starts talking to Sharon. I could see this is the cop that she's fooling around with. So I go down to the, to the basement, to the garage, and I get my hammer. I go outside to this brand new car sitting there in the driveway that I just bought and bought for Sharon. And I start smashing the windows, smashing the doors, smashing the fenders. I'm doing a job on this car. <laughs> the cop comes running out of the house. What the hell are you doing? I saw him checking the car for rattles. I get in my own car and decide to go to work. As I'm driving out of this Levittown shopping, this Levittown housing development, a cop car comes up behind me, but on the siren, pulls me over. Another cop car comes along, parks in front of me. They got me sandwiched in now. The cop takes out his nightclub, breaks my rear view, my, one of my lights in the back of the car, one of the stoplights, gives me a ticket for having a broken light. I just laughed to myself. I said, boy, this is going to be a fun 
one expedition coming up in my life. Let me get the fuck out of here for now. So I go to work. I got that living quarters there. I decide I'll just stay here for a few days. Let things calm down. See what develops. I now go see a lawyer. Explain everything, what's happening. He says that I should go back and be in that house. Don't, don't move out of the house. You're giving up rights and just move back in the house. So one day I go back to the house. I have another big argument with her and she leaves. So I call Muggsy, tell Muggsy, come on over my house here. Help me babysit with these kids again. I go to the lawyer, tell him what's developing. He suggests I put a put a ad in the paper for a house cleaner, babysitting woman to come and, and stay with the kids. So I do that. And the first one to answer the ad is a young young woman with only one arm. She has a small child. She wants to know if she could have this job. I said, yeah, there's another bedroom there. You and your, your child can have that bedroom. And, but we end up making love on the floor that first night. Anyway, the, law, the lawyer tells me, this young woman is not a good idea to have in the house. To keep running the ad and get an elderly woman. Which, which finally develops. And I get a nice, nice woman. I'm going to say she's 55, 60 maybe. She, she, she's a very understanding woman. She likes kids. The kids got along with her good. I said, okay, you got the job. <laughs> this went on like this for a little while, a few months. Everything was okay, satisfactory. Not great, but satisfactory. Then one day, the babysitting woman calls me. I'm at work, she said, Sharon's here. She's trying to get in. I won't let her in. This is, but she's making a big commotion. She's going to call the police. You better come home. In the next few days, weeks that go by, Sharon annoys this babysitting woman so that she tells me she's going to have to leave. She's very sorry, wishes me luck. She loves the kids and wishes me get a lawyer, she says. And she thanked me for the job and she left. Sharon moves back in. The lawyer says to me, <coughs> just, just keep your cool. He said, maybe be better. If you move out, I said, I don't know. Life's very confusing. It gets pointed again. My vita loca. My vita loca. My vita loca. Anyway, the next few days, one day I go to work. When I come home, Sharon's gone. The kids are gone. This time all the furniture is gone. In courting with the lawyer, the lawyer says, well, the furniture's both yours. Whoever got it first, it, it's there to do what they want with Nothing you can do about it. Jesus, lawyers, great. I, I think lawyers are a bunch of bullshit. But what are you going to do? Anyway, I, I moved back down the shop. 
come by every few days, just check, checking on the house, making sure everything is intact, checking the mail. One day in the mail, I get a letter from a storage company that I owe a bill on the furniture they have in storage. In calling the furniture company, I asked them if they want to buy the furniture. They said, yeah, and they made me an offer. It wasn't a lot of money for this nice new furniture, but it was something, and I owed them a bill, and I would have this money in my pocket rather than ours, and I took the deal and sold them the furniture. Now the lawyer had filed a divorce and separation and all that legal shit. Anyway, when we go to court for this hearing, the judge decides that the divorce should be should be uh, forthcoming and that the house should be sold and the money, the profits, divided equally. Now, somewhere along this point in my life, the divorce divorce lawyer, the house gets sold, and I don't know what, what the amount was or how much we got. I'm going to take a guess and say 17000 each. We each got a check for 17000 So I go to the bank, cash, cash my check, and I've got this money in cash in my hand. Now, all my life, I never really paid attention to how much things cost or what year this was. I just, when I tell a story and somebody would say, what year did that happen? I would say, I don't know. Just listen to the story. So I never paid much attention, but I'm going to guess it's around 1969, 1970 now. Sharon will not give me the divorce. The divorce lawyer says, Look, you sold the house, you've each got the money, you've gone your separate ways. Why don't you want to give him a divorce? And you have a boyfriend, why don't you want to give him a divorce? She said, because she loves me and I'm her husband. That's the way it's going to stay. Now, through the grapevine, I hear that Sharon is having a fight with our new policeman boyfriend's wife, and that she's causing commotion and causing him a lot of stress and almost getting him fired from the, the police department. One day he gives me a call and says, I better come and get my kids. She is now living in an apartment in New Jersey, right near where our home was. He says, you better come and get the kids. He says, I'm going to go kill them. So I ask him, listen, hold your head, you know, don't, don't be foolish. Where are you now? I'll come and talk to you. So I go and I meet this guy, and I have a talk with him. And he says he's going to kill her. She's driving him crazy. I better get my kids out of the house. So I have a nice talk with him. I calm him down. I tell him, listen, don't do anything foolish. Just forget her. You know, go back with your wife. 
Live your life. Forget God. So here it is. It's a Friday. Midsummer. I've got $17,000 in my drawer, in my living quarters, in the tattoo shop. Now, the living quarters is up toward the front of the tattoo shop. So I had partitioned off quite a large area in the front where I built myself a bedroom with a shower in, in the bedroom. And it had a door on it to get into this room. It was just a flimsy little door with a regular doorknob that had one of them little buttons you push for a lock to keep people out. This was just a flimsy little lock thing. You would push it, close the door, and now you couldn't open the door. But one could bang on it with your shoulder, and that door would open with no problem. The door wouldn't break, the door would just fly open. So I had my 17,000 in the dresser drawer in this little room, and I just threw some underwear and socks over it so that you couldn't see it. But it was just laying there. Now I get up early Saturday. I always opened up early Saturday. I had a very busy shop on the weekend in, in Philly. So I get up early. <clears throat> right next door was the friends that had the little restaurant there. And you could smell the bacon and eggs cooking home fries. You could still get breakfast in that for around $2 with meat. So I get up to the smell of, of bacon and eggs cooking. And, and I take a shower. I get dressed. I come out of this little room and just push the button and close the door. Now there's a young sailor, a young soldier, standing at my front door. I see him. He's looking to get tattooed. So I go over and I open the door. It ain't noon yet. And the soldier says, are you open? I said, yeah, sure, come on in. So he comes in, he looks around, he picks out a tattoo he'd like to get. I said, I'll put this tattoo on him, then I'll have breakfast. So I sit down in the back where, where the tattoo room was, and I'm tattooing the, the soldier, and in comes one of the characters from the neighborhood, Cactus Jack. Hi, Ed. Hey, Jack. How you doing? He pulls up a chair and sits down in the room where I'm tattooing and talking to me and the soldier. All of a sudden, the front door opens again. Two young black guys come in with guns in hand. And I'm saying to myself, Jesus Christ, my gun is in the bedroom. Here I am with the money laying there in the drawer. You bang on this door and that door will open. And they come right to the back there, guns drawn. Tell everybody, just sit still, this is a robbery. Nobody can do anything funny. Nobody will get hurt. They tell the soldier to put his head down and not to look at them. They tell me to do the same. They tell Cactus Jack to get on the floor and lay on his stomach with his face facing the opposite direction. Everybody does what they say except me. I just sit there looking at them. The one guy walks to the front and he starts to try to open the door and now he starts throwing his weight against the door. 
The second man is standing right in the doorway to the tattoo room with his gun pointing right at me. And he keeps telling me, put my head down, look away. And I just keep staring at him. I am now saying to myself, each time this guy clamps his body against the door, I said, this young guy that's standing with the gun on me, each time this happens, he turns his head to see what's going on. And I say to myself, as soon as that door opens, I'm jumping this guy with the gun pointed at me. He's only two, three feet away from me. I jump him, I'm saying to myself, take his fucking gun and shoot the first guy up for the front of the shop. Now, while this guy is banging on the door, and it ain't opening, to my surprise, I'm saying the people next door with the restaurant are going to hear all this commotion and are going to come and look in the door and call the police. Just wait it out, see what happens. The door never opens. The guy in the front comes to the back. They tell us to empty our pockets. They take what little money we had in our pockets. They try to tear the phone off the wall so we can't call the police. And they both leave. I immediately jump up, run to the front, just back against the door slightly with my weight. The door opens. I'm inside. I got my gun in my hand. I'm out the door looking for these two cocksuckers. They're gone. You can't see them nowhere. So I come back in. I call the police for my phone. We had a pay phone in the shop. I call the police, tell them we just tried to be robbed. And they come over. They take all the information. That ain't going to do no good. I know this. But you do it anyway. Now you begin to wonder, who sent these two guys to rob you? Who knew you had this money? This is definitely not just coincidence. And you, you go through your list of sub suspects. And what are you going to do? First thing you do is take the money where it is and hide it in a safe place, just in case something else happens. And then you continue on with your day. First thing Monday morning, I'm up early and I hit the banks. Now, I never liked banks, never trusted banks because of both my grandparents. They didn't like banks. They didn't trust banks. They both lived through the Great Depression where a lot of people lost a lot of their money in banks and they didn't trust banks. They were always telling me stories, be wary of banks. Now, in those days, you didn't need identification. You didn't have to sign your life away to open a damn bank account. The banks were glad to have you come in and open a bank account. You could open a bank account in any name you thought of. They didn't ask you for identification. They didn't ask you shit. They asked you your address and your telephone number. That was it. So, I deposited this money in two or three different banks, probably three different banks. I was always told, don't put all your eggs in one basket. So I opened three accounts, got the money in the banks, and I felt good about that. 
Now this whole marriage and, and affair I had with wife number two, Sharon, it only lasted six years. One year for, for the pregnancy and her to have my son thereabouts. And then he was turning five, about to go to school. So there it is, only six years. It seemed like 106, so. And, and we were never together more than a few months at a time at any, any point. But now that's almost to an end. I ain't got the divorce yet. But everything is fine. 